ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. Hello, and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeBreeze, and if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Steve. I'm an Arsenal fan, and I'm here from FindPubSport.com, which you can find at FindPubSport.com on Twitter. Hi, I'm Mike, and I'm a Watford supporter. I'm from the Watford podcast, From the Rookery End, which you can find at www.fromtherookeryend.com. And I'm Nick, I am a Liverpool fan, and I write for Anfieldindex.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys, and thanks to Mike for joining us for the first time. But we're going to start off with Steve. 2-0 victory. I know a lot of people had a lot of concerns with Wenger after some recent results. I'm assuming all of that has subsided now. Um, it's not all subsided, unfortunately, although it should. Um, I think it all stems from the transfer window, obviously, the criticism um, that we bought nobody in the mar- uh, nobody in the transfer window. But the fact is, if we'd have got a middling player um, to put into our strike force, people would have complained. And in terms of world-class strikers, it tells you something about the market that Manchester United paid, what, two-thirds of Gareth Bale for a 19-year-old? Um, so Man United were criticised for overspending on an unproven talent in Marshall. OK, he scored a good goal but that's one game and one goal. And uh, Arsenal criticised for not spending a lot of money on someone. So how do you win? I think uh, I think it just kind of sums it up that it doesn't matter which end of the scale you kind of adhere to, you're going to get criticised one way or the other. One way or the other. So I think personally that Wenger should be admired in this case. There have been times when he should have fought before, but in this case, he stuck to his guns and I think he should be admired for that. Um, as much as uh, he's being criticised. I mean, the fact is, we don't know what's going to happen. So maybe buying Martial for £86 million or whatever it was, uh, was the right thing to do for Manchester United. And maybe buying nobody was the right thing to do for Arsenal. But we won't know until the end of the season. It's a long old season. Um, the criticism of managers in general is a bit ridiculous because the fact is, they're there every day in training. He's aware of what Giroud and Walcott and Sanchez and Welbeck, obviously, when he's not injured, can do for Arsenal. And all of the armchair pundits uh, and even the professional pundits aren't there every day to see what he sees. So hopefully, having dominated the game, 29 attempts on goal, 
um, okay, we only scored twice, but the goals will come. There are goals in this team, and people who don't think there are goals in this team have very short memories. Bearing in mind, we put four past Villa in the FA Cup final, four past West Brom at tail end of last season, and sorry, Nick, but four past Liverpool as well last year. There are goals in this team, and it's just a case of getting the taking the chances that we're making. And hopefully, once the confidence starts flowing a bit, and once the pressure eases, which this um, which this result hopefully will help with, um, those goals should flow a bit better. I mean, the first goal was a fantastic goal. It was a bit un-Arsenal. It was a bit Route One, but in terms of the kind of the components of it, it was a superb goal. In that Coquelin made an excellent challenge in the middle of the park. The ball ran across to Özil. Özil looked up, played a pinpoint ball. Uh, behind the defence, Walcott took one touch on the, on the turn to take it away from the defender and then finished under the keeper. It was just, it was lovely. Um, he then got substituted for Giroud, who's had his fair share of critics in light of the fact that we didn't buy anybody um, who would be an inverted commas improvement on him. Um, and then with his first touch, he missed what was admittedly quite a good chance. Um, the thing was, what then happened was, the fans online and apparently some in the stadium, I've heard reports as well, obviously got on Giroud's back from then on. And then when he scored the second goal, I couldn't have been more pleased for him. But people were actually upset about that. There were Arsenal fans <laughs> that were upset <laughs> about Arsenal. It was ridiculous. They were like, they wanted him to perform badly to prove their own to point. The narrative, yeah. Yeah, it's, the word I would use for it is pathetic. Um, I mean, they're strikers who are low on confidence. We can't bring anyone in anymore. OK, he did miss a good chance, but it was his first touch in a Premier League game with a snapshot. He wasn't in the game yet. Just support the team. That's all That's all you have to do. Support the team. That's what you're there to do. That's what you're spending your money for as an Arsenal fan. It, stri- it strikes me that Arsenal supporters have kind of backed themselves into two camps. And it's either yeah. you're very much pro Wenger or you're very much come on Arsenal and get your checkbook out and there's no the, the middle ground seems to be disappearing amongst Arsenal fans so I just wonder how that's affecting you know the atmosphere at the ground the atmosphere amongst amongst Arsenal supporters is it is it making it more difficult because like you say Giroud's kind of the poster boy for the for the get your checkbook out brigade now isn't he they want him to struggle so is that is how's that affecting the whole dynamic of, of being an Arsenal supporter it's it's making it very frustrating I'm not going to lie because the fact is I have always been a backer of Wenger and the fact that the lean years as they came were because we were building the stadium. I don't want to go back into that all now. That's all been documented. But the reason why we didn't win and we had to sell all of our better players is because we were building the stadium. I believe that in the future, we've got the spending power to bring in really top players. But that's just not the way Arsene Wenger does it. So Arsenal fans should, while he's there, just accept that that's not the way he does it. See if he can continue and and win uh, and challenge for the league this season. I don't know if we'll win the league, but I think we'll challenge for it at least a sustained challenge, which is what we what we should be doing. Um, and then when Wenger has gone, hopefully with all the respect he deserves for being our most successful manager in our history, then maybe the next guy who comes in, whoever that might be, will be more. Um, uh, happier, not more, well, yeah, more. What's the word I'm looking for? Well, he'll spend the money basically. Mm. 
Um, and if that happens, then we'll see if that happens, uh, see if that works. But what about Liverpool? How much money have they spent? How much money did Manchester United spend last year? And they didn't get any closer than us to winning the league. Neither of those teams did. We finished above both of those teams and they spent hundreds of millions of pounds. So money doesn't cure everything. Just wait and see what happens. If we do need someone in the January transfer window and there's someone available, I have no doubt Wenger will go for him. But the people who were listed, Cavani, Benzema, all of the others, weren't available. So what are you going to do? All we can do now, now that the transfer window's shut, the players are low on confidence, or the strikers at least are low on confidence. Support the team. How is it helpful to have a go at a striker who isn't on form when there's no replacement? Mm. There, it's not helpful. Um, but on the on the on a basic level, a two goal win, both the strikers scored. Hopefully, going forward, that will be uh, that will be helpful for the team, and the goals will come. Um, so, yeah, ran over. Apologies. <laughs> yep, no worries. Uh, Mike, I hear you were at the match yesterday where you defeated uh, Swansea, aka this year's Southampton. A lot of people seem to really be behind them. What was that experience like? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, there's still Watford supporters are still enjoying, I guess, a bit of a honeymoon period because uh, we're back in the Premier League for the first time in a long time. I don't know if you guys know Vicarage Road Stadium at all, but there's been a lot of improvements to the ground. So even just turning up for for a Premier League match day is still a really good experience for for Watford supporters at the moment. And then to cap it off yesterday with with a really well-deserved win, I have to say, if you watched Match of the Day, you probably won't have seen um, too many highlights. But uh, it was a really gutsy display, I think, from Watford because it's their first win of the season. So that's weighing on people's minds a little bit. If you're going to stay in the division, everyone knows you need to win. And on our last two trips to the Premier League, we weren't really embarrassed. We never really looked massively out of our depth but we never really got anywhere near the, the the right amount of results. And it was starting to feel a little bit like, well, we played OK. You know, we played well against Everton. We played well against West Brom. We played well against Southampton, but we didn't quite get it over the line. And there starts to be that little concern that playing well, but not getting the results. And um, if that goes on too long, you, you can kiss the Premier League goodbye. So to get that win yesterday was um, oh, it's just like a big champagne cork going off. The, the, the ground was absolutely rocking. Um, and to top it all off, um, it was a good performance. We did it with 10 men. We had to play probably 20, 25 minutes with 10 men. And it's another clean sheet, which is possibly something that might have crept under the radar of most people. That's, that's, that's three, three clean now. sheets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the Watford I think it's only Arsenal, um, United, United and, and City who have conceded less than Watford this year. Um, and, you know, that's saying something. Um the Premier League is a tough place to go. We, you might argue that the, the first couple of games haven't been the toughest, but we've been to City, we've been away at Evan, we've all seen what they're capable of this weekend. Um, so, it, really encouraging signs from Watford. Um, and yeah, just it was just the roof came off yesterday, quite frankly. It was, it was party time. Um, we got the win. Uh, and we're looking, starting to look, we're looking very, very difficult to beat, which is, I guess, a, a big part of the battle um, in the Premier League. It's, the dynamics changed from from last year, from the championship, where you'd go, we'd be expecting to score two, three, three goals in every game, and you'd be basically looking to beat everyone. And I think as, as supporters are, are slowly coming to terms with the fact that it's going to be a lot more tactical, a lot more cat and mouse in the Premier League, and and if you can snatch a one nil win, that's you know that's the be all and end all. That's all that matters is getting the results. So it's kind of getting used to the different parameters of watching the game. 
Um, but that in itself is exciting as well because it's all on a knife edge. It's been very, very close for, for Watford so far. Perhaps the, the Man City game accepted, but you'd probably expect that. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was just a really, really good day. Um, we kept, um, as, you, as you mentioned earlier, Swansea are, the, uh, are really popular this year and, and quite rightly so. They've started off with a, with a real bang and have looked, looked decent. So to restrict them to very, very limited chances... Um, and to beat them ultimately with 10 men is, I think, uh, most Watford fans went home very, very happy yesterday. Yeah, we, we are a fan of stats here on the show. Uh, some interesting things that you don't usually see in a stat line. You had more tackles but less fouls and more than double the shots that Swansea had but almost half the possession you or, or a third of their possession. Uh, just how did that break down for those that didn't watch the match? Were you attacking on the counter? Because that seems to be the only thing that would have really made sense. Yeah, the Watford are basically set up to to, to counter-attack. Loosely termed, I don't think it's fair to say that they're just going to sit back and, and hit, hit on the break all the time. But very much the focus is on staying very, very solid at the back. Um and and yeah, and can counter attacking, and that's that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier with Watford fans having to get used to. Um, Watford have basically accepted. Kike Sanchez Flores has accepted that he's going to stop other teams scoring, stop other teams um, getting a getting a lead on us, and 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 beat them that way. And yeah, that's that's the way that's the way it happened. And some people might argue that to do that at home is is not perhaps in the spirit of the game, or you don't want to see your um, your, your team not not going out on the front foot at home. But quite frankly. We've got one job this year. And that's to get enough points to stay up. Now, whether that's yeah. whether we finish one point clear of the relegation zone or or however many, it it absolutely doesn't matter. Um, yeah, because- unfortunately, kind of in this financially driven world of the Premier League, how much is the spirit of the game worth? Because I doubt it's more than a hundred million, which is likely what you'd get if you stay up. Yeah, but you know, you you look at the faces yesterday. I did a little video. Um, did that horrible football. Um, um, uh, tourist thing of, of, of filming the crowd at the at the final whistle yesterday, um, and I just sort of panned round at the final whistle, and the, and the look of delight on everyone's faces, the punch in the air, hugging, and all this sort of stuff, and that's a one nil home win against Swansea. So quite frankly, that is the spirit of the game. If your support yeah. go home happy, then 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 so be it. And um, and the the other thing about this Watford team is you've got to remember, and it's been it's been publicised very very well that there's a lot of new faces. A lot of new faces, not not least the manager. Mm. So unlike in previous years when we've gone up, we know which team with the team we're going to have, and we we sort of hit our, our plateau almost straight away. This team is learning, getting together, gelling, working out how they can get the best out of each other with every passing day. So so we'll get better, we'll get more effective, we'll get more efficient, and I think we'll see us posing a, a bigger threat going forward as the as the games go come on. Nick, obviously a tough weekend, 3-1 loss to Manchester United. A lot of people stirring the Rodgers out brigade, which we'll discuss here in a little bit. What was your take on that match? It didn't seem to me like uh, it was a 3-1 match. I think 2-2 may have more accurately reflected at least the first 80 minutes. Uh, but but what, what was your takeaway from that match? Just shocking, really. Absolutely shocking. I can't really say much more. Obviously, there's a lot of Brendan Rodgers stuff, which we're going to come on to a little bit later, but... You know, to to go to Old Trafford, neither side had a, a local player in the team for the first time in years. Even obviously with uh, Wayne Rooney being out, I know he's a he is a scouser, but you know he he, he loves Manchester United, and hates Liverpool. So with him not playing either, there was just no passion in the game. The, the first half that was clear to see. Nobody sort of 
you know, got the fixture. So, you know, there was nobody there to to understand the, the passion between the two sets of fans or, or or any of that stuff, really. And then, you know, the, the first half was just, you know, just, just dreadful. And we come out second half and concede an early free kick. Um, I'm not sure if it was a foul myself, but after that, you, you've got to defend a free kick like that. You can't let someone have that much space on, on the edge of your box and expect, you know, not to concede. It's just absolutely shocking when, you know, Brendan Rodgers is laughing last season because he got a couple of clean sheets, um, you know, saying, oh, it's that new defensive coach that we got. Yeah, clearly, Brendan, it's working for you, isn't it? Joe Gomez, unfortunately, he's only a young lad who uh, put in a stupid tackle, gave away a penalty. Um, yeah, they, they they scored that. I mean, he's a young kid, big game, things like that are going to happen. Then Christian Benteke with a, with a, a moment of being pure genius. You know, he'd done not much in the game, but he, he comes up with that. And, you know, if he does that a couple more of them this season, I suppose, if we're on the winning end, then uh, we'd obviously be a lot happier. And, you know, you, you, you think when you, you get a goal back like that at the 82nd minute, you might go on and push for an equaliser. But it was written in the stars when that uh, Marshall signed for 38 million, 58 million, million on deadline day that he was going to score in this game. Whether it meant anything or whether it was, you know, obviously it did. It did kill us off, you know, after finding a way back in. I just don't really know what else to say. I mean, I've watched Liverpool under Roy Hodgson and this is just as bad. Yeah, obviously not not what Liverpool fans were expecting to see. Uh, Sturridge supposedly just about to be back. Do you think he'd be able to help turn everything around or, or do you think this is a larger issue? Well, it, it depends really because we, we had Danny Ings talking yesterday who was probably our best player and that, that's just shocking in itself because no offence to the lad but he's not exactly a top four player he's probably lower level Premier League Championship level player he, he played for Burnley last year he's an alright squad player but you know he, he was our best player yesterday so that sums up the rest of the team's performance and when the squad was announced even Sky Sports thought that we were going to play a diamond with two up front but we ended up playing a four-three-three with uh, Ings on the the left and Firmino on the right, and just playing plays that position. I mean, if he's gonna, if Storage is gonna come back and he's gonna play him on the left and Benteke up top on his own, completely isolated, it's it's not gonna change, is it? So I, I'm not sure the Storage is gonna help the situation at all, really. It's almost like Liverpool represent the the malaise that that the Premier League sort of starting. It feels like a really fuzzy start to the to the league for. For those that are supposed to be challenging, Chelsea are obviously wobbling. Liverpool, as you mentioned, aren't looking aren't looking great. Arsenal are kind of there and thereabouts, and Man United similarly. But but no one's really looking like they're coming back. Like they strength, they like they've strengthened over the summer. Obviously, there's been big signings for most, but no one looks like a better side than they did last year, do they? Really? Um, well, it's, it, it's it's funny how it sort of mirrors what happened last season as well, because Chelsea. Ran yeah, it feels like we're coming off a World Cup year. Yeah, there's no World Cup at the start. Yeah, but yeah. there wasn't one. There was a women's World Cup, which was a great watch. Oh, maybe maybe that's, that's what that, it was. <laughs> all all the emotions were drained from the men's players watching it. Yeah, that's what it was. So those <laughs> late nights. Yeah, but but genuinely, no, you're 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 spot on there, Mike. If you look at the Premier League table, you know that's that's what you expect to see like week one. You know, with your Leicester's and Palaces all the way up there. Oh, they'll fall later in the season. But, you know, we're, we're now after five weeks. Well, not technically. We still have Newcastle uh, to play tomorrow. But it, it is a very strange season. And we've, we've talked about on previous episodes a lot, of, a lot of what we think 
largely is just how much money is around. You already mentioned, you know, you brought in a lot of players. How are they going to adapt? And and some of the quote-unquote lower-level sides now have players that are just as good. We we saw it in the Tottenham match today with Jermaine Lenz. He was probably better than anyone on our squad other than uh, Mason and Dyer in the midfield. Um, it's just that don't think it's just that the players are on a par. Um, I think it's teams are starting to get better. It's no accident that Crystal Palace are up there. You know they were looking great for the second half of last season and well, and they're just as clubs as units. Everyone's these sides which are which are kind of probably dismissed and uh, you know I might might be doing um might be doing supporters of the top four the, the traditional top four a disservice when they when suggesting that they might dismiss Palace as someone they might beat but it feels like that the teams like that are getting more and more switched on and perhaps they're you know they're, they're, the the behind the scenes stuff is is a lot better and and perhaps there's more team spirit perhaps again amongst these sort of sides and it's coming together you saw Leicester's come back against Against Villa, you yep. you thought well, right this is going to be the end for Leicester. They've had a great start, but it was bound to happen. Ranieri's a, a, a nutcase, it has been, and, and a poor appointment. This is where it all unravels. But lo and behold, you know Three Jamie goals. Vardy, <laughs> Jamie Vardy has has come to the fore again. And you know these these sides are are, are are perhaps behind the scenes. They treat themselves as top four sides. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. they don't see themselves as also rounds anymore. And they maybe they're slowly slowly catching up. And perhaps Liverpool for, is an example of where they've taken their eye off the ball a little bit and thought a big money signing is going to plug that gap. Um, Liverpool's perhaps a difficult example because the, the, the two players they've lost over the last couple of years are, are, are virtually irreplaceable. Um, but it almost seems to be like big money, big money, plug that gap, plug that gap. Mm-hmm. Whereas other sides feel a little bit more compact and more more efficient as football clubs. Do you, does that make sense? It does, and I will say there there has been, and I think this pretty much mirrors what's happened on the table. The difference between squads that really play as units versus ones that have great talented individuals, even Manchester City, who do have great individuals, still play much more of a team style, or or at least they're clicking as a team earlier on in the season. But you know, right now you mentioned Liverpool, a little disjointed in attack. We've been the same way. Uh, Chelsea obviously very much struggling with that same issue, and and for the first half of Liverpool United, neither team really were able to to get things going. As you mentioned, Ing starting for Liverpool, no Henderson still. Manchester United, you have Fellaini up front, so you had a whole bunch of interesting things going on. But it does feel like like some of the again quote unquote lower sides, their their kind of like team building, if you will, has been much more successful than if individual players have been brought in. Well, I think the, there's a lot of money lower down league now um, with all the TV rights and stuff, and I just feel like the lower to mid table teams, traditionally speaking, are spending it more smartly because the when when a larger team goes in for someone, they're held to ransom. For example, Martial with Man United, they know they know they've got more money uh, than the mid table, so Monaco held out for they they said they tripled their bid, um, and that has meant that the middle section of the table can spend their money a bit smarter um, and then start contending when they're in individual matches with the with the top teams. Um, and that has led to, like, the table is incredible. I mean, look at Newcastle. If Newcastle win tomorrow, Chelsea are in the relegation zone after five games. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, uh, after that pseudo-topic, I'm going to talk about Tottenham for a little bit. Um, 
Started the day off, woke up here in the States to news that Emmanuel Adebayor has left the club via a mutually terminated contract. Uh, I know some fans were kind of hoping that relationship could be salvaged just so we had a second striker. Uh, we had a very similar thing to what's going on over at Arsenal where we, we clearly needed a second striker option and didn't bring anyone in. Uh, and so some people were hoping the Adebayor thing would be fixed, but I think most would agree that he's had a negative influence on the club over the last couple of years, and it was it was time for him to go, which we knew. Uh, saw some people saying in fantasy, pick up Adebayor, can't sign for a Premier League team, or he could, he just couldn't be registered, so that's not super helpful. Um, but uh, as, a, as a Tottenham fan, waking up to hear that, that that he's gone from the club, I feel a little relieved, just like we did with Benoit Asuakoto. Not Not cutting into what they did when they were great at the club, but just you don't want those kind of attitudes just floating around the training center, kind of imbuing everything with their kind of negative aura. Or uh, I forget what Adebayor said. He was cursed or whatever. Um, <laughs> but that's fine. We're rid of him. I understand he had a lot of personal issues, and I genuinely wish him all the best on that. But I think it's, it's better that he's no longer at the club. Uh, disappointing news before the match, Nabil Bentaleb suffered an ankle ligament injury earlier in the week and looks like he'll be out for around a month. Uh, then we had news before the match that both Della Ali and Hyungman Sun were going to start today, which was met with much jubilation and joy. And then both very early on in the match uh, were greatly impactful. And then after about the 15th minute, both slowed down to the average tempo of Tottenham, which is plodding and methodic. Uh, and, you know, methodic implies a level of efficacy that we don't really uh, display at times. But, you know, I, I don't want to put too much pressure on them because if we had gotten a draw or a loss today, blaming the two people that are just coming into the side seems a, bit, a, a little bit misplaced. Uh, Sunderland had the better of the chances for the most part. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it, it felt very slow and drab. We were just talking about kind of disjointed attacks. That's, that's how Tottenham felt through most of the match. Sunderland were basically a pass away several times from having some, some very great chances and did have a great chance that Lens played through to Jermaine Defoe, but he, he hit the post, fortunately for us. Uh, but, it, and I'm, this is crazy to say, Tottenham's day turned around when Andros Townsend came on. And I know he's gotten a lot of flack in the real world and a lot of flack on this podcast. And I don't particularly defend him when he does poorly on this uh, podcast and people attack him other than his England performances, which have weirdly historically been pretty good. But his pace added a whole nother dimension to our attack today that really, well, it, it didn't just open up space. It did do that. But he himself was very effective. He sent in a couple of really dangerous crosses. Patrick Van Anholt, who I, I rate but has just been having a difficult year, had no idea what to do with Townsend. And I think largely that was because Townsend cut outside for the first time in probably two years. And he did it frequently uh, instead of always trying to cut in and take it on his left. He still did have a couple of those, but he earned them by, by uh, other meritous acts throughout the match. He came on, helped greatly. Lamela came on. He looked much better than he has lately. Uh, the disappointing one was Harry Kane. I know a lot of people were resting their fantasy hopes on him, Steve, uh, and others as well. Uh, but he, he, we, our last podcast, if you listen to it, we talked about whether or not his international form would really translate uh, into club performance. 
and it did not. You could tell that, that he just wasn't as sharp uh, as he was with England. And and I think it was Dave that mentioned uh, the difference is that in the England setup, he's playing with a whole bunch of, of internationals, and he has to come on, and Rooney's pushing the line, and he gets to sit a little bit further back, run onto balls, which isn't the case with Tottenham. He's usually the one either pressing the line or trying to create chances, neither of which are really his strongest suits. Uh, I'm not sure if this is just a temporary thing. I saw a couple Soldado mentions. I'm not I'm not going there. <laughs> I, I can't emotionally deal with the concept that Kane might struggle the way Soldado did. Uh, but hopefully, once Ericsson gets back, once Sun gets firing, then hopefully they can all develop as a unit and Kane can get back to his scoring ways. Uh, Ryan Mason was probably our best player for about 70 minutes of the match. Uh, he did very well, mentioned Dyer earlier. <laughs> Ryan Mason created the chance that ended up in us scoring the winner. Uh, documented it as Mason to Lamela, Lamela to Mason, Mason to Kane, Kane to Lamela, Lamela to Mason, who then chipped it over Pantillamon. The smallest chip you'll ever see. Maybe got a solid eight inches off the ground. Um, but for for the winner, he then went off with a knee injury. Pantillamon looks to have slid into his knee. Uh, hopefully that isn't too long. But Sunderland probably deserved more from that match in in all reality. They played very well. Lenz played very well. Mvia played very well. Billy Jones was less horrible than I've accused him of being the past couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, there's the, I was mentioning to these guys before, there's, there's a weird appropriateness to us getting points in the match where we probably offered the least uh, after several weeks of playing very well and not getting a result. Uh, so, you know, if you look at the table, we probably deserve six points. Should two of them have been wins and the rest losses instead of the three draws and a win that it looks like? Probably, but but it now feels like we're in the right spot. Uh, and, and hopefully we can put together the good performances with the wins and then propel ourselves forward from there. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show yeah. is absolutely yeah. incredible. Or anime. Yeah, and under this sure. mask is another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. All right. We mentioned the Brendan Rodgers thing earlier. There are a lot of people asking a lot of questions. Uh, 
Do you think Liverpool should still stick with him as their managerial option? I think it would only be appropriate for us to start with Nick here. What, what's been your take on Rodgers, and, and do you think you, you should keep going with him? I know there are some internal issues. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the AVB situation where everything seemed like it was okay, and then you start hearing about the, the issues between the manager and kind of the ownership. Uh, is that something you're concerned about, and would you like to see him remain at the club? No, he's done. Absolutely done. Um, he should have gone at the end of last season. I mean, I've got you know a, f- a few numbers just to. So after Swansea away last season, we we beat them one nil. Uh, the nine games after that, we conceded eighteen goals, only scored nine, and got eight points. I mean, and that included a six one defeat to Stoke. I mean, after that six one defeat to Stoke, how the owners decided, you know, we're going to give this guy another. 32 million to to carry on next season, or obviously, well, it's been we spent about 70 million this summer again. I know we've got 49 from selling Sterling, but still, he's he's been backed. He's bought his players, and you know you, you can tell the whole committee Brendan Rodgers thing is, is very well documented. I'm sure you all know about that, and you can you can tell now which which signings were his signings and which signings were the committee signings. I mean, Coutinho was a committee signing, but the only reason he plays him because he can't he can't not play him. Because you know he's he's our he's best player. Best player. <laughs> so Nick, Nick, can any manager recover from losing Luis Suarez to a transfer and Steve Gerrard basically obviously went to transfer, but he he wasn't the same player for the last sort of eighteen months or so. Can any manager and, really... and Sterling as well, who was a, a major catalyst for this season last year? Yeah, but it's not just losing those players. We've lost our identity completely. I mean, we've got we just don't look like a team. We we've got no. Liverpool, you know, you have an identity. We were scoring goals for fun. I know obviously Suarez helped that. And he's obviously lost storage as well because he's been out injured. But the fact is, he keeps changing his, his formations or he tries something new. And as soon as that gets found out, he reverts back to his 4 4 3. He's pulling players out of position. He's loaning players out when we, you know, we need a big squad. We've, we've got a, a lot of competitions here. Like he's loaned that mark, which we've got Europe coming up, start the Europa League on Thursday. We've obviously got the two domestic cup competitions. This just like, and he, he continues to play Dejan Lovren at centre back when we've got a French international, who mm. the youngest captain of Paris Saint Germain, sitting on the bench doing nothing, and he continues to play Dejan Lovren because of his politics. He he signed him, so he has to justify that signing, even though Dejan Lovren is probably the worst player that I've ever seen wear a Liverpool shirt. I'm not just. You, you can't defend that. I mean, you can lose Luis Suarez, but you can play Dejan Lovren as well. So it works both ways, really, I think. Yeah, I, I saw a, a tweet from our, our mutual friend, Dave Hendrick, uh, and he was saying that uh, Rodgers started 10 of the 11 that, that led to the West Ham loss, and the only change was the forced change of Coutinho uh, and then bringing on Ings in his stead. I, I agree with you. That's That's... Pretty inexcusable. The run that you mentioned, obviously, very poor. I mentioned before the AVB thing. It just—it's so evocative of that year. The tactical issues, the management issues. Like I said, the issues between the manager and the front office, if you will. And forgive the Americanism. Big signings underperforming. Bad early results. It's just so similar to that trajectory. And funnily enough, Liverpool are the ones that that. Uh, ended AVB's tenure as Tottenham manager, and it feels like that's happening again. But continuing in that line of thought, our biggest problem was that we let AVB go because it was the quote-unquote right thing to do, and then there wasn't a better option, which led to the Tim Sherwood era. 
uh, which I think a lot of Tottenham fans regret. Was it fun watching us just bombard forward? Yes, but that was not a very tactically astute team. And I remember in, in a post-match interview, I think it was Christian Eriksen laughed when they asked him a question about Tim Sherwood's tactics. <laughs> That's probably not what you want at Liverpool right now. For us, we're, we're a very self-deprecating lot. There's a lot of pride in Liverpool as a club. So if, if there's not that option out there, there is, I'm there not is sure it's the time to move. Well, Klopp's still out, turned down the Marseille job because he said it was too early, which, funnily enough, I think Bielsa might also be an option to look at. Uh, if you did let go of Rodgers, who would you want to see brought in and who do you think would be most likely to come in? Um, I'd love to see Carlo Ancelotti personally, just because somebody, you know, that big experience, he's, he's been there, he's, he's won three Champions Leagues, you know, he's, he's managed in the Premier League before, but obviously I wouldn't turn down Jurgen Klopp either. Again, it's just a case of whether he can, you know, he had that relationship with um, Dortmund, the fans, the board, whether he'd get that at Liverpool, whether a bad couple of results will. Um, you know, obviously change that and people will get on his backs because our fans have, have, you know, really turned against Brendan Rodgers and, you know, they, they turn against the players quite quickly if uh, if things aren't going right. I mean, there's nothing I'd like more than Brendan Rodgers to succeed. I've backed him, you know, since he came as, as a young manager. You know, it'd, it'd be nice to, you know, for us to go a different way about it rather than getting this big name manager in. And you know, I know we spent a lot of money, but you know, just trying to build a team, you know, with a philosophy. But he's, he's lost that, and I, I just don't know whether he, whether he can carry on. But again, I don't think the board are going to sack him either. So I think we're just going to have to deal with it. He's an interesting one, Rogers. As a as a Watford fan, obviously we we gave him his first job, and he he got Watford playing playing some really nice stuff. And then I don't know if you guys remember, but he he came out with a, a spiel about saying anyone who's saying I'm going to leave Watford to to join Reading is questioning my integrity, and I uh, that makes me very angry. And then of course a couple of days later he joined Reading, yep, um, yep. and was completely found out of Reading. He had an absolute disaster. Got picked up by Swansea where he where he did okay. Um, and and then ended up with the Liverpool job. So, but Nick, so what's the what's the what's the pervading thought that the year before last was a fluke? Um, well, no, it was named Suarez. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it was named Suarez, and you know he, he he had a formation. He played players in sort of correct positions. Obviously, Suarez, the third best player in the world, <laughs> that does help. You add storage fit and you add Sterling and those three up front together. Back to my earlier point, doesn't it? Can you replace those guys? So you either can or you can't. Did you see what I'm getting at? Well, well, maybe you can't replace them to the extent where we're going to challenge for the league every year. But think about the years before that. We were finishing eighth, we finished seventh twice, and we finished sixth. All we wanted to do was get back in the Champions League. You might not be able to replace them and you know score over 100 goals a year and you know come second in the league. But you might you, you should be able to replace them with the money that we got to push for fourth place. Surely, if yeah. you're a good enough manager yeah, and you've got a good enough um, you know scouting team and recruitment, you should be able to, as a team like Liverpool, attract players which will help us get into the Champions League. You then you get more money, which then you can build your team from there and and you know then challenge for the league from there. I think that season a couple of years ago maybe came or well, probably came about three or four, two years too early because we just had the right player. And well, at the right time, and you know, it, it just and, Ger- seems to and Gerard was still effective, which then obviously yeah. tailed off last year. So, what would you say if I said, "Come on, mate, there's only five games gone, two two wins on the bounce, and and you're probably going to be looking sort of fifth or sixth." Does, is, does the world not seem a better place then? 
it depends on on for me on, on the performances and we, for Liverpool and our fans, we need, we need to have some sort of identity and some sort of you know look like we know how to play football. And at the minute, we nobody seems to know what what we're doing. I mean, we kept passing to United players yesterday, so we can't even like, string a couple of passes together. So, yeah. you know, the, the first three games with two wins and a draw, it, it did look good. But you know, like I know this is the issue: you can't seem to complain when you win it, even though you, you're playing absolutely well, rubbish, basically. You can't complain because you've won, but at the end of the day, you know we're paying fifty quid a game because all of our games are tier one. When we go to away games, we're paying all all the top the top prices because we're with a big tier club. Surely we deserve, especially after the money we sent, some some decent football to watch. Surely. Yeah, and to, to be fair, it's probably unfair of me to say look on the bright side after losing to Man United. <laughs> so but... exactly, you, you, it's it's always horrible to lose there, but yeah. when you lose there, like we did yesterday. I mean, it's just, yeah, obviously I'm going to come on here today and, and be sort of disappointed. Yeah. You know, maybe if we if we do win five or six on the bounce, then you know, if people, somebody is going to come on here and maybe seem a bit more positive. But, you know, for me, I, I just can't see that happening at the minute, especially with, with the way he's playing. We've got probably got the worst centre-back pairing in the Premier League, I, I would say. Mm. You, you said that you don't think the board will make a move. What do you think it will take? I just, I just don't think they'll do it. Just, oh, like period? Like they'll wait till the end of the year? Well, unless we're sort of in the bottom half, close mm. to relegation at Christmas, then they might have to. But it, it depends on the fans as well and, and the players. But I thought he looked like he lost the players when we got beat 6-1 by Stoke. Yeah. So, and they still didn't sack him then. So it's, it's, for me and the, the rest of Liverpool fans, it's just a case of you know whether they will, whether they, they seem to you know, think he knows what he's doing and a couple of players will click and everything will be all right. But, I mean, for me at the minute, it doesn't look like even if Benteke just start firing that, we can even give him the service because he just looks isolated up top. Even yeah. when we played a second striker yesterday, we, we played him out on the left. So, I mean, what's going on there? Yeah. Can I attempt to make you feel slightly better, Nick? <laughs> you, you can try, but... I'll attempt. I mean, you are, you're absolutely right. You know Liverpool... Uh, you know Liverpool better than I do, um, and you'll you'll notice things that I don't. And you are right with Ancelotti and Klopp out there. There are better options, um, reputation-wise, anyway. But just looking at the table, Man City, Pellegrino was uh, Pellegrino. Pellegrini was a doubt last year. People were calling for him to go. Arsenal, of course. People have always had doubts over. Well, not always, but recently had doubts over Wenger. Crystal Palace. In fifth place, Pardew. Newcastle couldn't wait to see the back of him. I think they'd love to have him back now. Last year, this time last year and throughout the season, Martinez was under doubt at Everton. They're now sixth in the league. Swansea, people doubted that Monk had the ability and the um, and the experience to put them where they are. And they're seventh and they had a great season last year. So if your board don't pull the trigger, which may or may not be the right thing to do, Stability isn't always the worst thing uh, if you can turn it round because you know that that top seven uh, there's a host of people in there who have so if that yeah helps, I, I I can say I, I do want him to do well I'd, I'd rather was keep Brendan Rodgers and for him to you know go home before Norwich next week and be like I've been doing something wrong here I need to you know get in training and make some changes and just admit that he was wrong he's made some tactical mistakes and. 
know, just just get on with it. And you know, you know, he probably does have the ability, but whether he's just too stubborn or, or I, I don't know what it is. He just he just doesn't seem to be able to put a, a, a team together at the minute. And you know, I can't see that changing, unfortunately. But you know, deep down, I, I really hope it does. But you know, like I say, I just don't think it will. Yeah. And I just counter that by saying there's absolutely nothing wrong with having four managers in a season. <laughs> we had three recently. I, I think three is a limit. Four seems excessive, but three is fine. Oh, for- yeah. <laughs> Go for three. All right. Uh, well, you, you mentioned you don't think he's going to be gone soon, despite what some fans are calling for. So the question is, who do you think will be the first manager to go this season? We have some pretty decent options with Mourinho almost being in relegation zone. Uh, obviously, Rogers causing a whole bunch of a stir. Who do you think will be the first one to leave their seat? Um, hopefully, it'll be a bit like last season. It'll take a long time for the merry-go-round to start because it, yeah, it was pretty about much December started. last year, right? Yeah, it was. I think it was. was oh, it was West uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah, um, well, Pardew was two days before the start of the season. So, but once the season started, I think it was West Brom. Yeah, um, Pepe Mill out, and then they brought in Pulis, which is what caused Crystal Palace to bring in Pardew. Yeah, was it? Wasn't it Irvine? Or am I getting that mixed up? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was right. Pepe Mill went at the end of the season yeah. before, and then oh, they just right. got Alan Irvine in. Oh, for about two months. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, for, forgive me. No, no, that's okay. I was, I was just uh, just clarifying, but um, hopefully that it will be as as an advocate, as you can tell from what I've said so far, of stability. Um, if it's not Liverpool, uh, hopefully it will last until sort of Christmas time at least. Um, but uh, what about Mark Hughes? That's um, that's exactly what I had written down. They spent a lot of money and only two goals scored, I think, this season. Uh, three, it says here. I've got the league table in front of me, so I have an advantage. Yeah. Okay, two two points then. How about that? Yes, three two goals, points. Two that's points. right. Yeah, so I think um, he's in. I think he could be under a lot of pressure. He had them. He's got them playing some good football at times. Um, but yep, no Bojan. After like, I got the red card, they're dealing with some stuff. But yeah, I mean, they sort of had a blend of the steel of the Pulis era and the attacking of um, Mark Hughes' style. But now it seems like well, people were saying a similar thing actually about Martinez last year, like. They were saying that the Everton defence were um, ha- had kind of faded up since Moyes had left, and then they were leaving holes in the back. So people might stay, say the same about Stoke. So you could say again, give him a chance to turn it around. But but they are down there in the relegation zone after five rounds. Um, and the season's Stoke, only so long. Stoke kind of represent the the big fear for for supporters like me of teams who aren't really going to be challenging for Europe, because if you do perform well. There is there is a glass ceiling if we're if we're perfectly honest if we put our hands on our heart and and Stoke have have done really really well since they got promoted and they've sort of incrementally got better their signings have, have done really well and they've you know they've improved their image as well dare I say and people sort of look a bit more kindly on Stoke but now it, it almost when when you guys were talking there I almost started thinking about Charlton and and, and Alan Kirbishley when they said oh he's taking us as far as we can go we're looking to go to the next step. When really are you going to get to the next step? So, mm. but ask you know, I, I, I don't know. I can't speak for Stoke supporters, obviously. But are they going to get a little bit sort of twitchy, a little bit um, nervous, a little bit aggressive towards Hughes if if they continue to struggle this year after what's been a pretty decent couple of years? Well, they might suffer from their own success because their most recent shift did help. 
getting getting rid of Pulis and bringing in Marquise brought them their their highest finish, uh, I think to date, if not just recently. Uh, so you know, <laughs> because of that, they might be looking at, oh, well, it worked that time. Let's try it again. I agree. It's a very it's a very dangerous slope that can very easily lead to the championship. Yeah. Their next three games uh, are Leicester, Bournemouth, and Villa. Mm. All on paper winnable. I mean, Leicester are on good form, but Bournemouth and Villa, particularly after today. Um, mm. If they don't get too many points out of those, I think he could be under a lot of pressure. Yeah, because then obviously their their fixture list gets tougher after that. And, you know, one of those two points was, was thanks to two goals after the 80th minute against us. They don't have that. They're sitting on one point, and it's looking even more dire than it currently does. Uh, I th- I think there's a reason why I didn't phrase this with who do you think will get sacked first? Because I think it is entirely possible that Mourinho walks. Oh yeah, of course he did it a couple of years ago, didn't he? Yeah, well, yeah. I can not I can a just couple see, years ago, like the first time he was. He, a... he already's walking out of interviews. You hear people saying that you know people are avoiding him in in the training center and stuff. I I, I can just see him being like, I'm Mourinho. I'm better than this. I don't I don't need to be treated this way and just leave. And then uh, Eva will be should have bought John Stones. I've got one that might he was field. outstanding the other day, John Stones. By the way, oh my gosh, phenomenal! Yeah, I've got one that's from a little bit out of left field. I yeah. think I think Slava Bilic might be a decent bet because mm. I just think West Ham are so Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, uh, and they hit like five bad matches. People start questioning. Yeah, and he's so um, unpredictable. I think he's got the. You know, I think he's when things are bad, he's got the the ability to be Mourinho times ten sort of thing in terms of the way he reacts. And I think he's just so quite, he's quite volatile. Um, and I think if West Ham do go on a bad run, I think we might see him sort of fall to bits a little bit. And the relationship with with um, with the board and and potentially the fans, which is a bigger leap because obviously he's a bit of a legend to to, to the guys at the Berlin ground. But I've just got a funny little feeling that he he just looks like one who's who's always going to be a, going to be vulnerable just because of the way West Ham play and just because of his sort of temperament, his characteristics and the kind of guy he is. So a bit out of left field, I, I know, but um, that's the one I picked at the start of the season. I'm going to stick with it so far. Um, Sunderland love a good manager change, though, don't they? So, I mean, <laughs> that, that's always sort of a, a pretty safe bet that, you know, they are last as well. So, mm. I guess um, we have to throw Watford in there as well. I don't. I don't think you do. I think of of the recently promoted sides, and it would be a grave injustice if it happened. But you mentioned the money that, that it's very important that this year's teams stay in the Premier League at all costs. And if you look at the injuries that Bournemouth have suffered with Max Gridell and uh, Tyrone Mings, you've lost sixteen million pounds of player at a club that does not have that kind of money. And and Eddie Howe, I think, is very well thought of. But they're they're gonna they're gonna have a really big uphill battle. I do think the Glenn Murray signing was a good one, but yeah. uh, they're they're gonna struggle, and and I hope it doesn't happen. But I think Eddie Howe might might be looking at a very tough challenge to to both keep Bournemouth up and and also keep his job. I think he, I think he's safe as houses, knowing um, a little bit about Bournemouth, and you know obviously Watford did battle with them last all last year for mm. the championship. Um, and ultimately lost out. I think that's the first time I've managed to say it out loud without sort of wanting to punch something or burst into tears. <laughs> um, but I think the relationship Eddie Howe's got is, as it should be with with a manager like that who has done so much for a club, is yeah. he's got a lot of goodwill in the bank. And I'd be extraordinarily surprised to see him part company with um, with Bournemouth this year. 
Yeah, especially if the board view that as another example of why it would be difficult. Because, you know, it's easy for, for fans to turn, but yeah, I don't know much about that, that relationship. And as I mentioned, I hope it doesn't happen. Uh, all right, so now we're going to quickly hit player watch, where we're going to mention a player who impressed and a player who disappointed in our club's most recent fixture, starting with Steve. Um, it's difficult to pick out a player who disappointed um, from the Arsenal. Uh, sorry, a player who impressed from the you Arsenal can, team. You can go with uh, the fans who disappointed by booing their own players. <laughs> well, no, I, well, it's kind of difficult on both actually because it was, and it's a real cliche, but it's a it was a real team performance, and you know. Both the assists were from different people. Both the goals were from different people. So you can't use that as a crutch. Um, Coquelin did well. The defence played well. Um, so I'm going to go for Jack Butland. Um, because, OK, not an Arsenal player, but it would have been about 8 or 9 nil uh, if it weren't for that. Uh, and he, I, I think it's safe to say he kept stoking it. Um, so uh, on the flip side, disappointing Sanchez. He was captain of my fantasy league team this week and he hit the post twice. Um, so he's let me down there. So, but it was a really good team performance. So, uh, in terms of individual players, it's quite difficult to uh, to pick out. I'm afraid. All right. Well, I imagine it's going to be uh, even harder for you, Mike, to pick out a disappointing player. But who were you impressed by in your match yesterday? I think um, Troy Deeney. I think he he performed incredibly well. He worked so hard. He hasn't scored yet this season. But what he does do is makes it absolute hell. For the for the defenders he's playing against, he's absolutely tireless. He's strong. He's committed, um, and he does a lot of work that that doesn't get picked up. And and but it's just he's such a pain in the backside to play against. And he put in an extraordinary shift yesterday. We went down to ten men as as we mentioned earlier. Um, so everyone had to had to had to work a little bit harder. But he was just brutish for the for the whole time. So. Whilst he didn't score, Igalo got the um, Igalo got the goal, his second of the year, and I think he's now got the best um, uh, scoring record in Europe over the last thirty games. I think something like that. His um, his goals to game ratio over the last sort of thirty or games uh, is is absolutely extraordinary. But but Troy, I think, really deserved plaudits yesterday. Super super effort. I wanted to mention Craig Cathcart as well because he was one. He, you might may remember him from his Man United days, but Watford signed him from from Blackpool, and a, a lot of Watford supporters were like, oh "God, is this is this the sort of level of transfer we're looking at to get us up up into the Premier League and then to sustain that?" But he showed yesterday against a, a pretty a pretty scary sort of Swansea front line. You know, Gomez is is, is obviously no mug as we know, and he's just made the the step up um, look really really straightforward. So it's quietly. Pleasing to see someone like Craig Cathcart, who who was brought in with little fanfare, a little bit of grumbling amongst the supporters, just to look so so at home in the Premier League. So those two guys get get a big thumbs up. One of the new signings was a little bit disappointing yesterday. Um, uh, Jose Girardo, um, undoubted talent, got a great touch, um, very very skillful, sort of diminutive little wide player, but his delivery. Uh, any one of us sat around this uh, around the table could have done better. Um, with the delivery, and it was it was pretty consistent, and it's been like that for the for, for the start of the season. Now he's one that's come in, and and perhaps might need a little time to settle. But in the Premier League, possession is is key, and the possession in dangerous areas is absolutely vital, and we need to we need to make the most of that. Um, and to see sort of consistently poor delivery from him was was frustrating. But overall, 
Um, probably a bit nitpicky to say that, but um, if I'm going to I'm going uh, to pick someone, it'll be him. But but a great team effort, superb. Capu was good as well. Etienne Capu's been superb. He looks um, much happier in in yellow than he ever did in white. Yeah, I think it would be great if he could shut his mouth and quit being a bitter ex-girlfriend. But I'm glad that he's I'm glad that he's playing well. I just wish him all the best and to hear all those negative things from him. Just move on. You know, you have a new girlfriend. You're doing well. You don't you don't need to live in the past, man. So <laughs> new wife, not a girlfriend. This one this one's for real. Oh, this one's this one's he found the one. That's yeah, that's good. Absolutely. I'm happy for him. And and uh you know, kind of, kind of a fan of what you guys are doing over there. Obviously, you have Julio Gomez who was, you know, we were talking about people kind of getting run out of town. Uh, Julio Gomez, one of those after his mistake at Chelsea. The career just tumbled, but, but glad to see him doing well as well. All right, and Nick, uh, you already mentioned Ings was probably your best player, which means there's probably a whole lot of players that were disappointing for you. Uh, have fun naming them. <laughs> yeah, I'll start with, uh, well, I'll start by mentioning Danny Ings again as a player I felt sorry for. He treated was trying to cover that left-hand side, played out of position. And yeah, like I said, he was probably our best player. On to players that disappointed. Uh, I'll start with Martin Skirtle. What was he doing for that Marshall goal? I don't know. I mean, yeah, he took it well, Marshall, but Skirtle, he just turned away from him, just let him walk past you. You know, come on. If anyone thinks Skirtle's a good defender, they need to give their heads a wobble. He scores a couple of goals every other season. But defensively, well, he's unless he's got everyone now and again, makes himself a hero. Yeah, and unless he's got a good partner next to him, he's just awful. Um, Dejan Lovren didn't fall over. I mean, I suppose that that's a positive, but he, he wasn't great. To West Ham anyway. um, Lucas Lever, don't know how he's still a Liverpool player. Could have gone to Besiktas. Should have gone to Besiktas. Don't think he made a pass to a Liverpool player yesterday. James Milner, no passion. Don't know why he's vice captain. Runs around a lot. Fair enough. Ben Teke scored a great goal, but apart from that, was isolated up front. Can't really blame him too much for that. Yeah, pretty much the whole span of the team's not great. Mm. So I'll just leave that there. Yeah, uh, for Tottenham, I mentioned earlier, Harry Kane was the most disappointing today. Had a couple of chances that should have at least been on target, and one was skied, and the other one he failed to even make contact. Uh, unfortunately, this is probably where you'd swap your first and second strikers, maybe get Kane's confidence back up in Europa League. Play your second striker, see how well they do in the Premier League. It's what happened last year, vice versa. Soldado and Adebayor struggled in the Premier League. Kane was doing well in Europa League. You put him in. Oh, look, we found an amazing striker. Well, this year, Kane's the struggling one, and there's not really a second option. Uh, so hopefully he can he can find his form soon, because if not, it's going to be a, a very difficult season. Uh, <laughs> probably not going to be the difference between making Champions League and not. I've said all season, I don't even think that that's in the conversation. Uh, with us failing to bring in a second striker or or a holding midfielder. But, and that leads me into who impressed me, I already mentioned how good Mason was, but Eric Dyer uh, has been phenomenal. If if he was a signing on deadline day, and not to borrow this adage, but if his name was Eric Dyerino, <laughs> that one is not going to go there. But genuinely, if he wasn't you know a 21-year-old center back, that already had to play right back, that's now playing defensive midfield. If you only saw him this season, you would think he was one of the better holding midfielders in, holding midfielders in the Premier League. Does his passing have a little bit left to be desired? Sure. Does he make himself an option enough throughout matches? Maybe not. 
But on the defensive end, uh, that role of being the defensive midfielder, allowing Mason to really go forward or at least look forward for the passes, he's been absolutely tremendous. Today he was everywhere. Uh, if you wanted to look at his kind of heat map of where he played today, it's probably just an image of the whole pitch. Uh he had seven tackles, one, three interceptions, five clearances, and a shot on target, which is is just ridiculous for for a midfielder. Uh, so very, very pleased with how he's doing. The problem is, is that he has to do that for it to no, not look the the huge error that that it is that we didn't bring anyone else in there. Already mentioned Bentaleb out for about a month. Dembele fighting his way back from injury. Mason got hurt today. That means Tommy Carroll and Eric Dyer are probably our central midfield pair next week, which means we're very thin. Unless we're willing to push Della Ali back, maybe if Dembele's fit, we can play him in central midfield again instead of out on the wing now that we have those options. But we've left ourselves very thin. So very impressed with Dyer, very glad with how well he's doing. Uh, just a little worried that so much pressure is on him, just like it is Kane. There aren't other options at those positions. Uh, and so hopefully both of them can, can either find their form or continue it. Uh, in Kane and Dyer's cases, respectively. All right, and with that, we are out of time. So if you have any projects you'd like to plug or if you'd like to tell people where to reach you, now would be a good time. Cool. Well, thanks very much for listening. As ever, um, I am Steve. I'm from findpubsport.com, a website where you can go and put in where you are if you're in an unfamiliar place and find the nearest places to watch live sport, not just football, but across the board. You can find us at findpubsport on Twitter, or you can find us on Facebook as well, or findpubsport.com. Thanks again for listening. And you might be um, wondering, wanting to know a little bit more about one of the Premier League's newest clubs, Watford. I can recommend a fantastic podcast from the Rookery End that will give you all your uh, all your Watford requirements. Uh, full disclosure, I do present it, but it is good. Um, www.fromtherookeryend.com or just search uh, Watford FC on iTunes and you'll find it there, from the Rookery End. And yeah, I'm Berlin Lex, I've got uh, an app out. You can download that on the App Store or um, come to Android soon. Uh, as for me, I do a Premier League, uh, Fantasy Premier League podcast every week, uh, recording that on Tuesday. So it will be out sort of Thursday, Friday. Um, and we do are doing a £65 million challenge where we challenge somebody every week to pick a Fantasy Premier League team which costs under £65 million. Mm. And obviously that team faces a team that's picked by the guests on the show. And so we do that every week. So if you want to get involved in that, um, you can tweet me at AI Fantasy Footy. And yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, we also have a fantasy show, the FPL Roundtable, which you can check out on Wednesday mornings. You can check out this podcast on uh, Fridays and Mondays, but it seems like you've already found it. So good job. Um, if you'd like to find my writings, I'm over on blog.playtaga.com where I write about Sunderland, Tottenham and Crystal Palace. This week and next week will be particularly easy because my teams are playing each other. So be sure to check that out. I also have an article that comes out weekly on Friday mornings over on theeaglespeak.com based on price changes in uh, Fantasy Premier League. And I kind of mentioned options at each 1.0 price point that you can easily bring in and take out of your squad. Uh, again, very difficult year for, for Fantasy, but worth fun and definitely worth getting more input on your teams. So I'd like to thank everybody for joining us, Mike especially, uh, joining us for the very first time. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. 
Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>